grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Someone who works very hard to support their family. Someone who is a very respected community leader and a leader in their church. Someone who is always known to give you a a friendly hello and a nice smile. He needs a ride home from the airport. Will you help him? Someone who is fresh out of college. Someone who doesn't have that much life experience, but they're happy to give you advice unsolicited. Someone with no plans to get a job. They just kind of want to see what happens. Someone who disagrees with you pretty much on everything you believe, everything you stand for. They fall upon financial hard times. Will you help him? How do we determine whom to help and whom not? If your answers to those two questions were different, why? Why would you help one of them and not the other? Don't we make value judgments on people, whether they're worth our time, our attention, our service, our love, our respect, even dignity? And how do we make those judgments? What are we looking for in people to respect, to honor, and to serve? We make people out to be either heroes or villains, don't we? The heroes we look up to, they're our role models, we love them, we respect them, we serve them, and the villains, well, we don't even give them the time of day, right? How do we distinguish? What makes the difference between one group and the other? And you might be thinking, Pastor, how much time you got? Because we could be talking all day about the ways that they serve, the ways that they benefit society, they contribute to those around them, and the people who are the villains, the people on the other side, they don't. They don't have something worth respecting. How about in Scripture? As you read the Bible... You meet people. You see a lot of people. People on the, uh, across the whole spectrum of villains and heroes and everything in between. So as you read scripture, as you familiarize yourself with scripture, how do you tell what distinguishes the heroes from the villains? For instance, a, a man in scripture is so obedient to God, so respectful to God, loves God, cherishes God so much that he's willing to sacrifice his one and only son, to show his dedication to God. What distinguishes someone like that from someone who, upon entering a foreign land, doesn't trust God worth a dime to keep him safe, even though he has the promises of God, even though he's seen God's love face to face? So he relies instead on deception and lies to try to throw people off his scent. He's so scared. In Scripture, we meet a man shortly after his anointing in our Old Testament lesson for today who loves God and cherishes God so much that when he hears a Philistine blaspheme his God, make fun of his God, he can't stand it. So he goes to the river, grabs a stone, puts it in a sling, and hurls it into that Philistine's forehead to shut his big blasphemous mouth up because he cherishes God that much. What distinguishes someone like that? From someone who is bored, sitting around, thinking adulterous thoughts about a married woman and coerces her into sleeping with him. It's a big difference, isn't it? 
But here's the complication. Sometimes the heroes and the villains are the very same person. Abraham, at one point in his life, loves God, cherishes God, honors God so much, he's willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, to show his obedience. He doesn't have to do it. God lets him out at the end. But at a different point in Abraham's life, he was so scared coming into a foreign territory that he lied about his wife, Sarah, said she was his sister, so that people wouldn't kill him and take her away from him. David, when he was young, he cared about God, he honored God, he respected God so much that when someone blasphemed the name of the Lord his God, he killed them, Goliath, the Philistine. Fast forward a couple short decades, and David, a king now, is sitting in his palace looking at Bathsheba, lusting after her, and he forces her, coerces her, to sleep with him. What distinguishes one from the other? It's not so easy, is it? We like to make value judgments. We like to paint with broad strokes. We like to pretend that people are simple. You have your bad people and your good people, but aren't we ourselves? The perfect example of how people are complicated. Paul knows this all too well. The writer of our lesson from Titus. Paul himself lived this hero to villain switch. He himself was a, an apostle who was honored by all. He, he spent so much of his time helping people, making people's lives better by teaching them about Jesus Christ, their Savior. He spent his life helping people, preaching, teaching, and working for the church. But just a few short years before his career as an apostle, he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He personally went to Christians' houses and dragged them away into court and later on to imprisonment or worse. Why the change? Paul reminds us why the change. Paul reminds us in Titus what makes the distinction, what distinguishes the good from the bad, what makes the difference, and finally, why we should help people. A few verses before our lesson from Titus this morning, Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor named Titus, and he says to Titus, Pastor Titus, remind your congregation to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be respectful, to be peaceable, to be kind, to be gentle. And if you're like me, you hear commands like that and you say, what? Be respectful, be subject to rulers and authorities? That's kind of hard when you're getting pulled over for speeding and you know that you were not speeding. It's hard to be subject and respectful and obedient to that police officer, isn't it? It's hard to be peaceable, not to slander, to be, to be kind and patient to the people who are slandering us, who are not peaceable with us, who are angry at us, who make fun of us for what we believe. But that's the distinction that the sinful nature makes. The sinful nature sits in our hearts and wants to be gatekeeper. It wants to look at the commands of God for how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves, and it says, ah, wait a second, I will determine if that's worth my while. Because we don't want to end up helping someone or loving someone who might not deserve it. But that's the problem right there. Who deserves it? Do you? 
maybe Paul needs to remind us exactly who we were and what it is exactly that has made the difference in our lives so that we can reapproach this question of whom to serve and why to serve. And that's what Paul does. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What's wrong with the world today? Why is there so much anger and hate out there? Why is it that no discussion can be solved gently or peaceably in a Facebook comment section? It's not anyone else's fault but my own. That hate, that anger, that malice, that cruelty, it all starts here. And anytime I point out someone else's anger, hate, intolerance, I'm only showing what same cloth I was cut from. At one time, that was me and you. So what has made the difference? In one word, mercy. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Kindness. Not just the kind of kindness that picks you up another order of french fries because they know that you like them. Not the kind of kindness that is taking the garbage out to save you a couple minutes. This is a kindness for even your enemies. It's a kindness that only can be redefined as God's mercy to you. Mercy is seeing an inmate on death row sitting in that execution chair and the very person that that person has wronged with his crimes takes the seat instead of them. Mercy is seeing an enemy soldier on the battlefield, wounded and dying, and calling medical aid, bandaging him up, getting him water and food, even though just minutes before he was trying to kill you. Mercy is God looking down from his throne in heaven and seeing all of us hateful people, all the malice and anger and deceit and slander that we were inflicting on each other, ruining each other, and stepping down from that throne to live among us, to take on human flesh, to be our Savior. That's mercy. And it's generosity. Jesus came as your Savior, not just to settle the bill and walk out of the restaurant, but Jesus came to save you from your sins and to be your life. Jesus has come to make all things new and to change you. The mercy, the kindness of God, Paul says, appeared. There was a moment when you could see it, when you could hear it. That's when Jesus was born, wasn't it? When he came here to this earth, the mercy, the kindness of God appeared in a way that we could all see because Jesus incarnate was, Jesus was God's mercy incarnate. Every minute he spent on planet earth as a human, 
was a minute he did not have to spend, was a minute that he spent earning your salvation for you by walking lockstep formation with what his Father in heaven demands of each of us so that when he went to the cross, he could be the perfect innocent sacrifice in your place. Today, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. Jesus' baptism was a little bit like his commissioning ceremony. And if you've ever been to a commissioning ceremony, a lot of different things are happening at the same time. You're celebrating everything that person has achieved, and you're celebrating everything that they're going to do, right? Or like a graduation ceremony. Aren't you celebrating the hard work that that student has done, getting a 4.0, getting a great GPA, and finally they're getting that degree as a signature of their achievement? Look at how well you've done. We're so proud of you. But the story doesn't end there. You're celebrating what they are going to go on to do with their lives right? At Jesus' baptism, when he came up out of the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven on God the Son, and God the Father's voice boomed from heaven saying, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do not have any doubt as to who exactly this Jesus character is. He comes from heaven, he is God's son sent to save you and me. What he was going to go on to do from there, we celebrate today. But today, you were witnesses to a different kind of commissioning ceremony, a different kind of graduation, weren't you? As Jalen came up to the font and was baptized, that holiness, that perfection that Christ has earned for all of us was put on to Jalen like a robe, like new clothes. Jalen was gifted today with a brand new identity. He was rid of that sin that, that so plagued him from before, the hate, the deceit, that is all of our problem by nature, was forgiven through the water and the word this morning, just like it was for you. That's mercy. That's God's mercy for us. He has saved us from our old way of life, that hate, that anger, that malice, that slander. That's the old you. That's gone. That's buried. Now you are a dear child of God. God's voice booming from heaven saying, this is my daughter. This is my son whom I love. With them I am well pleased. How, God? How can you be pleased with me after all the things that I have done? We'll go back to our examples of Abraham and David. Abraham had his low moments, so did David. And yet they are praised in scripture as two, as two pillars of faith for us to follow, for us to follow in their example. What made the difference for them? It wasn't anything different than what has made the difference for you. God's mercy for them made all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference for you, too. So maybe we're going at this question all wrong. Maybe when we think about what distinguishes the good guys from the bad guys, what distinguishes the people for, who deserve our love and service and the people who don't, maybe we're just making it more complicated than it needs to be. 
Because if you're going to ask who deserves my attention, who deserves my time, who deserves my witness, who deserves me to help them, who deserves me to sit with them and talk with them about the comfort of Jesus Christ, that's the wrong question, isn't it? Because no one does. Because you didn't. But maybe we Christians should take this word deserve out of our vocabulary. Because God did not deal with you on the basis of your deserving. That's why we call it mercy. Maybe we should follow suit. Don't look for people in your life who deserve your love, who deserve your service. You won't find any. Simply look for people to serve. Why? Because God served you out of his mercy. God's mercy is the why to our lives. It is the mission statement. It is the fuel in our tank. It is the engine that drives us as a church and as people. It's all about God's mercy for sinners. And join me always in praying that that never changes. Amen.